Good morning. Um, if you've got uh, youth age 11 to 14, they'll be going out to SOS now with Skult, so, so head over that direction. Um, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church Hastings. It's, it's my privilege to lead the team. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. We're going to be uh, looking at that book of the Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 22. Last time I spoke, I spoke out of um, Ephesians chapter 1 and I've, I've sort of decided that I think up until Christmas, whenever I preach, I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Ephesians. So if you get the chance to read it, do that, immerse yourself in it. It is one of the uh, most glorious books of the Bible. There's such deep truths within it to uh, grapple with and uh, try and get hold of. It's, um, it's an amazing book. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. This, this passage is a, a bit mind-bending. Okay? It'll take a, a little bit of thought to get our heads around quite what on earth it's talking about. There are lots of phrases that we wouldn't naturally use in our conversation if we're having a coffee in Hastings Town Centre. You know, not often would we mention circumcision, Gentiles, the temple, the law, covenant promises, those sorts of things don't flow off our tongue, but we're going we're gonna to have a bit of a delve into this sort of stuff and uh, see what God wants to teach us this morning here in Hastings. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, so that is, anyone who isn't Jewish is a Gentile. So most of us here would be put into that category. And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Circumcision is a small surgical operation that makes most men wince when they think about it. And probably wince even more when it's happening. So, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants and the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I ask would you come 
in your power right now. Oh Lord. Lord, I thank you for your presence as we worshipped earlier. Holy Spirit, we love your presence. Lord, I pray as we spend uh, this time together looking at your word, would you make it live to us? Lord, I pray it wouldn't just be a bit of dry information obtained, but it would be life, transformation. I pray, Lord, that this, this bit of the meeting would be as soaked in your spirit as the first part. Lord, come and have your way, we pray. Amen. The reason we're looking at this passage is because I felt, and over the last sort of month to six weeks, I've, I've felt reminded of the fact that it's so important that we um, move forward together with unity and love. As God grows us and blesses us, and takes us forward in his purposes and plans, which he is doing. You know, next week we're going to be uh, uh, launching the first round of community groups, and we've got some people who are sort of really raring to go, um, but I know there are also others who are a bit worried. How, how will this affect me? Um, I'm not certain I, I, I really want to be part of this, or I don't know how I'm going to get involved with this, even with the building work as we look around now, and how different it is from three months ago. I mean, I, I love it. I think it works really, really well. But I know some of you um, would be finding it a little bit challenging. And so as we move forward as a church, as we go on in God's purposes and plans, it's so important that we keep unity and love at the very centre of who we are and what we do. Do any of you like moving house? Some of you like moving house. I'm told that moving house is one of the most stressful things you can do. And getting married can be stressful as well, so I'm told. Obviously, when I got married, there was no such stress involved. But, so I'm told, these things can be very stressful things in our lives. And stress is often heightened when you're moving. And I think it's the same in church life. If things are static... It's just a bit easier. We know what the status quo is. We know how it works. But as we start to move forward, as we start to take ground, as we start to do things that we haven't done before, it will cause stresses and strains and challenges that we hadn't faced before. And in some ways it can be a bit more uncomfortable than it was before. I don't know if I like this. And so it's so important that we have a good, solid foundation and understanding of what Scripture says when it comes to terms of unity and being together. I want to look at this passage in three sections. I think I'll do all three, but I may, as I'm going through, decide to drop one or, I don't know, we'll we'll sort of see how it goes. The first thing I just wanted to look at was the first two verses, and and I've entitled this, All Without Hope. And my intention is to explain what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 and then apply it to us. Because as we understand what is going on in that passage, it will give us great hope and certainty as we go forward in terms of unity and moving forward as one person. Now, if God could do that in Ephesus, there's no problem here. 
There's not, not a problem here in comparison to some of the challenges that were being faced there. You don't have to be much of an observer in life to see division, hostility, mistrust around, do you? Have, ever you, have any of you ever looked at a school playground at playtime? And you'll notice just lots of separation. You've got boys over here and you have the girls over there sometimes. When they get older, it doesn't quite work that way. But You get the sporty ones over there, you get the intellectual ones over there, you get the creative ones over there. You get the popular groups and, and the groups that maybe aren't so unpopular. And if you were to listen in on their conversation, often the conversation is, to, to, to make it more, more, more basic, aren't we so good and aren't they so bad? It's not quite termed in those phrases. You know, if, it's, if you're a sporty one, you are probably enjoying your sporting prowess and maybe despising those that aren't as sporty. If you're intellectual, you are revelling in your intellectual abilities and, uh, and, and, and yet, God, those sporty ones, they can run fast, but God, they're thick. And in the playground, you sort of see really how society functions. With adults, it's all there, but we're just a little bit more polite. And if I could provoke you a little bit further, in the church, it's often still all there. We're just a bit more polite than society is. If we're not careful, it just comes in with us. And that's what came into Ephesus. You see, because within Ephesus, it was a bit of a melting pot. There were Romans there, there were Greeks there, and there was the Jewish community there, and no one really thought very much of each other. The Romans had their military prowess, their imperial power. We are the victors. We control most of the Mediterranean. Um, no one can stop us. And if you're if you a Roman citizen, you were first class. You travelled first class. You had first class rights. If you were a Greek, you were wise. You had the philosophers. You had, you had the seats of learning and all of those things. And if you were Jewish, you had the covenant promises. You had the temple. You had the law. You had circumcision, which again, I can't quite see why they were so proud of it, but they were, they were proud of the fact that it was an external sign that they were God's people. They had the temple. The only place on planet Earth where God dwelt by his spirit, in, in the, the Holy of Holies, I think it was mentioned earlier, in the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain. And if you were a non-Jew, you could, you could sort of go into the temple, but you had to stay in the outer court. You remained in the outer court. And, and between the outer court, and this is basically how it worked, there was, an, there was, the, there was the court where non-Jewish people could go here, and the temple is up there. So you've got the court there. Then you've got the court where Israelite women could go. So if you were a non-Jew, non you, you couldn't go to the court where the Israelite women are. You, you were there. Then, further on, you had the court where the Israelite men could go. And each time you're getting closer to the Holy of Holies. Then you had the court where the priests could go. Then you had the sort of centre, the, uh, the works, the, you know, the main bit. On the wall between 
where, where, where non-Jews could go and where, where the Israelites could go. This is a sign they found. They dug it up. It's not very friendly. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So they had these signs around. So if if you weren't one of God's covenant people, you could look up at the temple, you knew, knew that's where God's presence were, but you couldn't go any further. Four, five foot wall around, you could look up these signs. You could go no further. And I think one commentator said that the Romans even gave uh, the Jewish uh, uh, community, they they gave them authority to kill people who went through there who were non-Jews. So the Romans didn't give that sort of capital punishment for many things, but that was one of the things they gave. And into into this, if you imagine all this different baggage, so if you imagine you guys over here, that you are the Jewish community in King's Church Hastings at Ephesus at the time, here you are the, the imperial might of Rome and over here you're the, the wise old Greeks. All of that baggage comes in with you when you become a Christian. Can you see that? When, when, we, get, when we become Christians, we don't just, don't just press, what is it, reset, as Santino said. Reset, it's all clear. Hey, I love you. There would, have, there would have been, in the natural, a despising, a hostility. Those words are all within Ephesians chapter 2. A despising, a hostility, barriers. Before you became Christians, you wouldn't have even have spoken to them. You wouldn't have eaten with them. You were the covenant people of God. They were without God and without hope in the world. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Without God, without hope in the world, you're the covenant people. You had the sign of the covenant, if you're men, in your bodies. Your privileged position. You had centuries of history of being God's covenant people. What were you guys? The Romans. You were the first class citizens. These were like the country bumpkins. Some odd group around the edge, tucked around the edge of the Mediterranean, who actually, generally, were just a real pain to you. They had only one God, whereas, hey, at least we guys have this in common, we have lots of gods, we can add a few more into our mix. So there was a natural enmity among you, and it's into this that, that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Actually, in a sense, all without hope and all without God. But then it moves on and it says this in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have... Lost my place. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's verse 13. Verse 17 and 18, it says this, He came and preached peace to you who were far away. All of you were far away from God and the promises of God. And he came and preached peace to you who are near. 
For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And this Gospel made a radical change. And what Paul's saying is it didn't matter if you were close or if you were far away, there's one way in to a relationship with God and that is through Jesus Christ. It's repentance and faith. The temple and the promises and the covenant, they were good. That was a blessing. But actually now in Christ, everyone has access the same way through Jesus Christ. And what Paul goes on to say, and I think what I'll probably do is just preach what I remember as I'm I'm going rather than use my notes, but what what Paul goes on to say is this, is is that the two have now become one. Because you've got a new heritage, you've got a new starting point. Um, uh, In uh, Corinthians it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... So the old, the old basis, the old barriers, the old hostilities that once existed, they're to count for nothing anymore. Because we're now new creations in Jesus Christ. We come in a new way. We come on a new platform and that is Jesus Christ. And that is to supersede, that is to go above and beyond everything else. Now you Romans, your first loyalty isn't to Caesar and it's not to the Roman Empire, it's to Jesus Christ. And for you Greeks, no longer do you boast about your wisdom and your heritage and your philosophies, but now you boast about Jesus Christ because he is your wisdom. And for you, Jewish people, You no longer boast about the temple or the covenant or the sign of the covenant or the promises, but you boast about Jesus Christ, who is your righteousness. And everything else needs to be pushed to the side. Everything else needs to be put to the side. Your loyalty to Christ and the work that Christ has done in you needs to override everything else. And it's the same for us today, isn't it, church? Same for us today, church? Yeah? Whatever our background, whatever it is that we've brought in from the past, it's superseded by the fact we are now included in Christ. He is our righteousness. He is our hope. Without Christ, we have no hope. But with Him, we have every hope. It's wonderful. I love this phrase um, somewhere in the passage. It says somewhere, it says somewhere that you have been brought near to God in Christ Jesus. So whether you were close or whether you were far away, you've been brought near to God. Do you know you cannot be brought nearer than you are now to God? You're in Christ. You can't You can't do something to add to what Christ has done that will draw you nearer to God. You've been brought near. Once you were far away with a big chasm, but Christ has breached that chasm and you've now been brought near. That's why we worship. That's why we enjoy intimacy with God. You know, as we worship, did you feel his presence? Raise your hands in worship. 
And there's something that you sing out to God, but something is going on inside as well. And you can sense his presence here in the auditorium too. And why, why is that all possible? Because we've been brought near. You once were far, far away. But now, because of the death of Jesus Christ, you have been brought near. It's a wonderful privilege. In verse 14 it says, For he himself is our peace. Do you know that? Jesus Christ is your peace. He is your peace with God. In Romans 5 verse 1 it says, Therefore, since you've been justified through faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In our salvation, when we're saved, when we become Christians, the first result of being saved is peace with God. That's the first result. You were once at war with God, but now you have peace. And it's only possible in Jesus Christ. But the wonderful thing about the Gospel is this. Our peace with God is not the only peace we get. We also get peace with one another. Whatever barriers, whatever hostilities, whatever things there were between people, they are demolished in Christ Jesus. Peace is possible. In the world today, we we spend millions and millions of pounds looking for peace trying to make peace here or make peace there. But ultimately, the only way we can ever find peace between groups of people and individuals is through Jesus Christ. Because he changes our hearts. That enmity, that fear, that mistrust disappears, can go. It's possible to go when when we've been joined to Jesus Christ. And we are new creations. We get peace with one another. And this is the radical message that Paul preached to the Greeks and the Romans and and, and the Jews. He said, peace with God is possible. Peace with each other is also possible. Do you see that? And if if Paul preached with such um, single-mindedness, he did not settle for a Jewish church a Roman church, a Greek church. He didn't say, look, to be quite honest, I really can't be bothered to work through your differences. To be honest, you're just a pain. You're spending all your time bickering and arguing and not getting on and you're getting upset because of them because you don't understand where they're coming from and you're getting upset by them. And He didn't settle for that. One church, one new man in Christ. Can you see that? And we've got to fight for that and we've got to protect that here at King's Church Hastings that we are a church which is multicultural, multi in age, multi in background, multi in education, multi in finance. We, we, want, we want all sorts because that is a reflection of the church that will most glorify his wonderful name. Amen? Now that's always been in our DNA and yet I feel it's important that I mention it again. I want to remind you So the young people among you, I want you to honour and respect those that are older. That's right, that's proper, that's good. But the older ones among you, I want you to um, love and bear with the younger ones. The ones in the middle. Whatever. Men and women. We bear with each other and our differences. Different personality types, different nations, all coming together in Christ. Whatever the relational or cultural differences we face within the church, 
in Christ, they can be overcome. If we're just like outside the church, but a little more reserved or polite, we don't have anything to show people. But it says they come and they witness that we are different. God has changed our hearts. Where you wouldn't naturally expect to see love and kindness and joy, they see it here. Because we're God's people. And at the end, Paul finishes from verses 19 to 22. He says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We're all one body. Paul finishes this little section in Ephesians um, uh, uh, with three metaphors or three pictures of the church. He talks about the church being God's people. He talks about the church being God's family. And he talks about the church being the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. We're God's people. He is the king and we are in his kingdom. And actually one of the primary functions of us as a church is to see his kingdom extend, to see it expand. The second thing, and I don't know if I've got long enough for it, but I, I do really want to do this because I think this is a, this is a good bit. Um, we're God's family. And I've touched on that already, but I want to, I just want to open something up. Yeah, you'll bear with me for a second? Yeah? Good. You'd have to shout quite loud to stop me anyway. In verse 19 it says, at the end of it it says, and members of God's household. Big, extended, loving, supporting family. That's what church is to be. Amen? Church isn't supposed to be a business and we're not supposed to be consumers. We're a family. In a business, or if you go to a shop, you want to get as much as you can, as cheap as you can, as quickly as you can. Generally, would you agree? You want a deal. You know we all like a deal? In a family, it's give and take. It takes time and only works if you spend extravagantly on it. If you don't put into a family, you won't get anything back. You eat together, you talk together, you share life. Church is a family, not a shop. And if you view King's Church Hastings like a business, I want to get in, spend as little time here as I can, get as much out of it as I can and give as little of myself to it, you're in the wrong place. Because we're a family. And you're, you're taking advantage of people who are treating this like a family because they're giving themselves. In a business, you expect great service. I'm paying the money and I want good service and if you don't provide it, I'm going to complain and if I don't get answers from them, I'm going to the manager. Yeah? In a family, I play my part. I do chores. If I don't, I'm a get... Okay, I'm pushing it a bit close, but... 
the, the principle works. In a family, I play my part. I do some chores. And if I don't, I'm a guest, not a family member. I don't expect guests to do chores when they come to my house for dinner. Although if they want to load the dishwasher, I won't complain. If, you're, if you come here and you don't do your chores, you may be on the membership role, but you're a guest, not a family member. Because families do chores, don't they? And actually, you know, my, my boys are, are what, 10, 7, 5 and 3. The three oldest ones, they do chores. After meal time, they collect the plates up, they put them in the dishwasher, they clear the table, and the older they get, the more chores I will expect them to do. They're, they're playing a part in family life. It comes with maturity. When, when they start going to work, if they're still living at home, they pay rent as well. I mean, it will help us as a family, but also it's teaching them. It's they're growing in maturity. That's right and appropriate. And it's the same in the church. You know, we're family. We, we get stuck in together. That's how we function. Amen? And I know, I know many of you have been around for, what, 10, 15 years. That's right in your DNA. But there's a few, few maybe who've come in more recently you didn't realise. So I'm just saying, we're a family. Get stuck in. Play your part. You feel more like you're part of the family when you're doing it as well. In a business, criticism is easy because there's no, bi- no, there's no commitment. I'm not committed to the business, I'm just, or the shop, I'm just looking to buy something. In a family, we protect each other. Criticism is low because commitment is high. I've never heard any of you criticise Chloe when I'm around. Why? Because I love her and I'll probably bop you on the nose. Particularly if you're smaller than me. And if you're bigger than me, I'll get someone else to bop you on the nose. You know, you know what I mean? No, you don't, do you? Because you're family. You, you protect each other. You love each other. And that's, that's what we're family. Just, I, I want to warn you, consumer culture is very selfish. It's very selfish. It's about me getting as much as I can. Church couldn't be m- further from that. The expression of life together couldn't be further from that. And all of us, all of us, can be affected by it because it's the culture that surrounds us. With family, we get in, we love people, we do our chores so that others are loved and encouraged. This church is a family, not a business. And that's what we continue to build. That's where we're looking. We we may get a bigger family and it may increasingly be a challenge, but that's core to who we are. We're also, lastly, the last metaphor that Paul uses, the last illustration that Paul uses, is we're also a temple. Verse 22 says this, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place 
in which God lives by his spirit. Paul's talking about the local church at Ephesus. He's saying, you, you're being built together. Why? To be a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. In the garden, Adam and Eve, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah? His presence. With Moses, he said to God, if you don't go with us, don't send us up from here, because no one would would distinguish us from any other people on the face of the earth. At the dedication of the temple with Solomon, the presence and the power of God descended in such a way that the priest could not minister. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came and anointed the apostles, it threw their world upside down. God has always been interested in being with his people. The Bible says that now, where does God dwell? He dwells with his people. He dwells with us here on a Sunday morning as we gather to worship God. He dwells with us as we do community groups out in the community and in small group life. We should have an expectation, a hunger, a thirst, a desire for the near, real presence of God whenever the saints gather together. Amen? And that's what Julian was encouraging us to do last week, to expect him to turn up in power in real and wonderful ways. Just as I close, Galatians chapter two, two, Galatians chapter five talks about keeping in step with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And what will happen is that as you are walking with the Spirit, what happens? Who wants to shout out? What's the result? What's the fruit of being filled with the Spirit? Yep, other things. Excellent. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are fruit of being filled with the Spirit. Where did we start? We started by talking about unity and standing together. Actually, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit that is exhibited in us and will overflow and grow in us is that very fruit we need to remain in unity, remain standing together strong. Some will run on ahead, others will take a little bit longer to get there. doesn't matter, but we stay in unity. The ones rushing off in front need to slow down a little bit and help those who are struggling along. Those who are struggling along um, shouldn't dig their heels in but say, well, I don't quite understand, but I will take some steps forward. I'm going to trust, I'm going to hope, I'm going to push on. We need to be a people filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I ask the band to come back up, please? We're going to um, break bread now and have the bread and wine and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to recommit ourselves to being part of God's family. We're part of God's local family here, King's Church Hastings. We're part of it and we're committed to it. And as we have the bread and the wine, we're remembering that Christ died to open a way that we could be together. Let's stand on our feet.
If we're feeling a little bit weary or a little bit tired, let's shake that out of, um, out of our bodies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You came and you uh, broke down the dividing wall of hostility in your own body as you died on the cross. Lord, I thank you that many of us who were far, far away from you and you brought us near. Lord, that we enjoy peace with you right now. But I thank you as well. We enjoy peace with each other. You know, I thank you. This isn't, this isn't something abstract that I'm talking about. It's something that we enjoy on a daily basis. We just say, Lord, we're hungry for more of it. Lord, we want to grow in our unity and love for one another. Lord, and as we worship you, as we take the bread, as we drink the wine, Lord, we remember your death, Lord. You came and you broke down the barrier between us and you that we would know you. And we are so grateful that you ever did that. But also as we take the bread and wine, Lord, we say, Lord, that we love the church. We love the people in it. Lord God, we say, Lord God, Lord, please forgive us if we've offended our brothers and sisters. Lord, if we've taken offence unduly, Lord, Lord, we, we say we forgive them. Lord, we thank you that we are one body for the demonstration of your glory and your love. We thank you so much for your goodness and your love for us. Amen.